Support for this show comes from Atlassian. Atlassian software like Jira, Confluence, and Loom help power global collaboration for all teams so they can accomplish everything that's impossible alone. Because individually, we're great, but together, we're so much better. Learn how to unleash the potential of your team at Atlassian.com. That's A-T-L-A-S-S-I-A-N.com. Atlassian. Hello, Giants fans, and welcome to the Valentine's Views podcast here on Big Blue View Radio, part of your SB Nation family of podcasts. I am your host, Ed Valentine of Big Blue View. Today's show is going to feature an interview that I did with Matt Williamson of Locked On NFL, also a former NFL scout, former writer for ESPN, who does a little bit of work writing for Big Blue View these days as well. Before we get to the interview that I did with Matt, just a couple of news-related topics regarding the Giants. First, we saw a report uh, on Wednesday that Ben McAdoo, former Giants head coach, is going to return to the NFL for the first time since he was fired by the Giants near the end of the 2017 season. He is reportedly going to be quarterback's coach for the Jacksonville Jaguars. And, you know, I mention it only because it is uh, it is the first time that Ben has been back in the league since the Giants let him go. I actually think that this will be good for Ben McAdoo as he tries to revive his career. This will be the first time that Ben has actually worked for a, uh, for a coach outside of the uh, the Mike McCarthy tree, or actually I should say actually in an offense outside of the Mike McCarthy tree. Obviously, he worked two years under Tom Coughlin, but Ben was running his offense. He was running the offense that he brought from Mike McCarthy in Green Bay. He'll be working with the head coach Doug Marone in Jacksonville and with offensive coordinator Jay Gruden. This will actually be Ben's first experience in the NFL with an offense outside of that Green Bay system. And that was always one of the things I thought was a weakness of of McAdoo's, that he really hadn't worked outside of that system. It was all that he knew. So this will be a good thing for Ben McAdoo as he tries to revive his NFL career. Good luck to Ben in Jacksonville. The other thing I wanted to mention, there were reports recently that Giants senior defensive assistant Brett Bielema was interested in the the Michigan State head coaching job, which came up a week or so ago when Mike D'Antonio decided to retire. Uh, Brett Bielema will not get that job, so the Giants will be um, will will have uh, their coaching staff. Joe Judge's first coaching staff will be intact. So. That is a good thing. You know, you never want to to have to start replacing coaches before you've even gotten players in the room. So, you know, we don't know how good or how bad of a coach Brett Bielema will be for the Giants. We don't know how good or bad any of these coaches 
that Joe Judge has hired or that or how good or bad Joe Judge himself will be. But as I said, you just don't want to have to start replacing coaches before you've really even had a chance to work with players, get them on the field, you know, do any of that. So so this is good news for the Giants as the offseason progresses. Uh, just a, uh, a, a sort of programming note, Giants fans, if you missed it, I had a chance to talk to David Morris of QB Country for a show that we aired on Monday. If you're not familiar with Morris, he has been the quarterback's coach for Giants' second-year quarterback, Daniel Jones, I believe since high school. So Morris knows Jones really well. We had a good chance to talk about Jones' rookie season, about the impact the new coaching staff will have on Jones, and about how Jones is preparing for his second season in the NFL. We also talked to to Morris about the retirement of Eli Manning. Morris was a teammate, backup quarterback for Manning at Old Miss, also a travel roommate of of Manning's. You know when the uh, when Old Miss went on the road, so he had uh, so we asked him about about Eli's retirement, and he had some good perspective on that as well. All right, Giants fans, let's get to the interview that I did with. Matt Williamson of Locked On NFL. All right, Giants fans, I'm joined now by Matt Williamson of the Locked On NFL podcast and also a contributor at Big Blue View. Matt's here to uh, give us a little off-season info, off-season opinion on the on the New York Giants. How you doing, Matt? I'm great, man. How are you? Good. It's been a while since uh, since you and I have done one of these together. Yeah, absolutely. I'm, I'm glad to be back and been enjoying writing for the site and got more stuff to come and great to talk to you. Let's dig in. Yeah, let's get to it. So it's been an interesting offseason for the Giants already. New head coach, whole new coaching staff, lots of optimism around the Giants right now. Just what's your early take on the hiring of Joe Judge and what that means for the Giants going forward? Yeah, it's a good question because, I mean, of all the coaching hires, I think he's collectively the one that we knew the least about. You know, I mean, the the Patriots aren't going to let guys out in the public all that much. And I actually I, I host a Steelers show with Dale Lawley, who's been a beat reporter for the Steelers for a long time. And from his perspective, he had an interesting thought on Judge that I never would have thought of. But as a beat reporter, he said, one thing that would worry me with Judge is, He's never dealt with the media. You know, I mean, Patriot assistant coaches don't have media sessions like other teams. So that's just a one little small thing that I, you know, that I've discussed about him. But he sounds like a really smart guy. I really like the the special teams background because if you're a special teams coach, not only did you basically talk to the whole team minus the quarterbacks, give or take. I mean, but the thing that people don't realize about special teams coaches is and I would imagine the Giants will be in this this you know vein, much like the Patriots were, that they'll have a pretty good group of core special teamers. And by that, I mean five guys. You know, five of your 53 are basically on all phases of special teams. So think about it if you're a special teams coach, and you basically have five guys you can count on, and then you got to fill in the blanks with six others. I mean, you still got to put 11 guys on the field. you got to find tight ends and running backs and wide receivers – 
And the thing that I'm getting at with this is you have to be very adaptable on the fly because uh, you're starting running back, it's hurt, and boom, they cut one of your sport core special teamers. Nobody cuts the defensive coordinator's starting middle linebacker, you know, or starting edge rusher, or boy, our number one receiver just got cut. You know, like that doesn't happen. But special teams guys have to be good communicators. They're always very, very energetic, and they need to adapt well on the fly. Right, and you know, one of the interesting things for me, Judge referenced the fact that he thought, you know, being a special teams coach gave him an advantage because he spoke to the whole roster almost every day during the week, and, and I think that's that's an advantage. One of the things that has always bothered me, and it works for some people, it works for some head coaches, it obviously, being a, a what I call a one-side-of-the-ball head coach, obviously works for Andy Reid. You know, some guys can do that where they just delegate the rest of it to other people. But it's always bothered me. You know, like the Giants brought in Ben McAdoo, and Ben was a one-side-of-the-ball head coach mm-hmm. who really couldn't build relationships with the guys on the other side. Pat I don't Shermer, know if you know this, but Ben and I GA'd together or pit together. Yeah. We, were, I, we, we shared an office. Just, just so happens. I didn't think his name would pop up. Well, well, I, I won't say anything bad about Ben. Then we'll, you know, I, 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 I he think he's a one side of the ball guy, though. I, I think it's past time for that. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah so failed. you know, it's, it's, uh, you know, the other thing uh, we're, we're going to talk about. Patch, Patch Shermer as well was a one side of the ball head coach, and he tried really hard, I think, to develop that relationships, that rapport with guys on the other side of the ball. But it always bothers me. When it when the head coach has his you know basically has his face stuck in a play sheet, and and I guess you know where I'm going with this is do you like the the CEO type head coach, or do you not care if it's a, a one side of the ball guy who really sort of delegates the rest of it? It's a great question because like you just mentioned Andy Reid and his star stock is soaring. And it really should have been all along. I mean, besides Belichick, I think he's the best head coach of this generation. And I said that before the Super Bowl win. But his game management's been terrible and his use of timeouts and time management. And I think a lot of it's because he's thinking about the next play or getting talking to his O-line coach or how do we block this or let's try play action on third and short. You know, I mean, all the being a, a, a play caller, a coordinator is a big enough job as it is. So in general, rule of thumb, I prefer the CEO sit back, have you know, have a, a good feel for every aspect of his organization, especially on game day. But I also won't discourage the fact that some of these offensive minds, these gurus, Sean Payton, you know, I mean, a lot of guys have had success, are also very valuable, more so than the defensive-minded guys. Because if you can develop a quarterback, I mean, if I told you that the Giants were going to hire a coach, not judge, that turns Daniel Jones into a four-time Pro Bowler. Everything else is worth it. <laughs> you know what I mean? Right. I hear you. It just you watch some guys. Some guys are really like you said. We've talked about you know. There's there's the Sean McVeighs of the world, the uh, mm-hmm. the Andy Reeds of the world. Some guys are capable of it, and some guys try. And you see that they're just not. It's you talked about game management, and in both Cleveland and New York, that was always an issue for Pat Shermer. He always seemed to be, to be caught unprepared or caught, 
you'd talk to him after the game about why he did a certain thing and he didn't have a good explanation for it. Yeah. And you wonder if because he's thinking about the play sheet and thinking about all of that, if he wasn't really thinking through the game situations. Yeah, I don't have much more to add to it, but I do think that, it, again, it's just such a big job to coordinate an offense, to get the play call sequencing the way you want, set this play up with the next one. You mentioned McVay, and I think a huge key to his early success was he gets hired, he gets Wade Phillips and just says, you have the defense, you know, that's, that's yours. You've been doing this for years. You're one of the best coordinators of the generation. Take it. And kind of shocks me that they split up this year. So we'll see. Now he's going to want to put his, his stamp on the whole side of the ball. Maybe he's ready now after a couple of years of being a head coach. But I do like the special teams angle. I like the the feel for all 53, having an understanding of what everybody's role is and how to put a lot, how to put a jigsaw puzzle together with some pieces that don't quite fit right. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. Let's turn to a little bit of a different topic that also involves Judge, and that's really just this perception of the Giants. There's a, a perception out there that the Giants are really old school in a lot of ways that that they're a dinosaur in the way that they do some of some of their evaluation maybe in their look in their view of analytics things like that and obviously they're keeping you know the 68 year old GM Dave Gettleman it seems like you know on the face of it it seems like Gettleman and Judge philosophically agree about a lot of things I'm just curious you know, how it changes for a front office, you know, when you bring in a new coach. I'm curious how much impact, you know, Joe Judge might have on how the Giants do things, you know, on how they view personnel, on how they use analytics. I mean, just your thoughts on, on how a head coach can change all of that. It's a tough one to answer. I mean, because they may have a plan in place and not implement it, you know, or... I don't know exactly how much juice he has, but I do think there's a common thread. And this goes back to Belichick through Parcells. I mean, those there's massive Giants roots here. And you're right, more than many any team in the league of late, I think the Giants want size and speed. I mean, they want big people at every position. That's a Parcells thing. I mean, that's to some degree, that's certainly a Belichick thing. So I think Judge's way that he was brought up in this game does tie in well to the, quote, old school way of the Giants. And the Patriots are always interesting to me when you talk about analytics, because Belichick basically says, oh, I don't pay any attention to that stuff. I don't believe that at all. You know, I mean, I, I think he very much knows the odds, things like that, the best way to team build and I do think Judge will bring a lot of that with him, maybe more so on game day than, than forming the roster. 
But I also think something we're going to see is much like the Patriot defense, I think they're going to want versatility. They're going to want smart guys that can be chameleons and play one way this week and then next week against the Eagles totally different or switch throughout the course of the game. You know, like you see the Seattle defense where they want a certain position. They want corners with long arms and height, but they can't adapt well. And we saw the Niners do that as the game went on in the Super Bowl. Weren't adaptive as the game went on. Where I do think the Giants will be designed to have a lot of versatility, a lot of high football IQs so that they can adjust on the fly. And that, you know, that leads me to talking a little bit about, you know, we're 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 in a little bit of of the dead period right now between the Super Bowl, combine doesn't come for a couple of weeks, the draft is, you know, two and a half, three months out yet, free agencies you know, is still, you know, a little bit more than a month away. I'm curious as we as we get into all of that that period of time, what is what's the process like right now for NFL teams? Just just from your from your recollection, from your understanding, I mean, at, as we approach the combine, what are these guys doing right now? Yeah, it's it's a very important time. There's a reason it's quiet is because People are grinding the tape. They're behind closed doors. They're putting in a lot of hours. So let's look at a couple different things here. I mean, there's a theory that if you've been scouting a player all year as a scout, not a coach, if you've been a scout, you've been in the in the uh, the college, you've you've talked to coaches, you've done the tape work, that you should put the pen down after the Senior Bowl because there's no more football. There's some heights and weights and things like that, and maybe it tweak things a little, but you should really have your report written now. And I think smart teams do that, and they start to build their boards now and then gather a little more information with medical, of course. That's the biggest thing for the smartest teams. And, you know, does the speed on tape match on the 40? Do I have to go back and double-check that? Things like that. And then you get to know the people, too. Do I, I don't really like that guy. I'm not bringing him into my building. But I think the smart teams, draft-wise, are putting together more than just the skeleton of their draft board. I mean, the bulk of it. And then you start to tweak it as some more information comes in. But these guys aren't going to play any more football. However, there's a wrench to that in that this is the time of the year that the coaches get involved for the first time. And what you don't know is some organizations put more stock in the coaches' evaluations. Some put more in the scouts' evaluations. And they can butt heads, of course, and they see things differently. You know, scouts, coach, I always lean towards the scout, obviously, but the coaches look at it like, what can this guy do for me on game day? Is he a, a special teams contributor? And a lot of them will look at it and say, boy, look at the combine numbers this guy put up. I can turn him into a great player. I know his tape's not that great, but I'm a great coach, and this is a, a wonderful piece of clay that I can mold because I'm so good at my job. And that's where some teams bought heads. And so there's a lot of that going on. Like the tight ends coach is looking at the top 10 tight ends right now, basically for the first time, especially if you're the Niners or Chiefs or you know played late into the into the season. And then, I mean, obviously free agency is right on the, on the cusp, too. I mean, your cap guy is very busy. How can we make room? How can we restructure? 
we're seeing a lot of little minor extensions and things like that right now. The not household names, you know, the Ravens just extended their safety, things like that. But, you know, you also have a free agency board. So you're, you're pro scouts. This is their busy season. You know, they've had a grade on these guys since day one. But they got to act really quick, too. If there's three tight ends that they like and two of them get signed in the first two hours of free agency, now are we going to pay this guy more than we thought because he's the only one out there? So it is very much a prep time, and things are it's very much the calm before the storm for all of us. But there's a storm going on in the building. Can it be tricky? I think people, a lot of, of casual observers sort of start to think about the draft, you know, right around now. But work on the draft, work on a lot of these prospects from, you know, from scouts, from front offices, from from all of, you know, the people that are out there every day. That work's been going on for a year on a lot mm-hmm. of these prospects, in some cases a lot longer than that, you know, with guys that have been on the radar for two or three years. And, and now you have the Giants here, as you said, the coaches are just starting to get involved in this process over the last few weeks and you have the Giants here with a brand new coaching staff. And yet you have a group of scouts that have been out there, you know, looking at players for a year and maybe looking at those players through the lens of Pat Shermer's coaching staff and Pat Shermer's sure. scheme. Just how much stop, how much I, does I, all I, of that complicate everything? It's awful. I mean, <laughs> here's my experiences. I mean, for people who don't know, I am very dialed in with the Steelers. I've lived in Pittsburgh my whole life. They're the the total opposite of that. I mean, they've had three head coaches in my entire lifetime. Nothing ever changes. You know, I mean, it's the same group. It's the same organization. That stability is wonderful. But I also put a year in with the Browns as a scout. And I did nine months of work for a Butch Davis team. And that team was basically a pretty cut-and-dry stack 4-3 and there was less nickel and dime and things back then. But, you know, we, we were looking for three techniques. We were looking for four, three defensive ends, will linebackers that could run. And then they hire Romeo Cornell, and I might as well have taken nine months of work and crippled it up because he wanted Vince Wilfork and Richard Seymour and McGinnis and totally opposite. So, yeah, you still have the same legwork, but you're looking through it through totally different lenses, and there's just so much time wasted where the other organizations, Patriots, Steelers, you know, the stable ones are just adding on, adding on, and just adding another page to the book. Which, of course, is why, you know, it's it's so important, I think, to get these coaching hires right because yeah. it's when you you know when you have to turn that coach over every two three years you're always starting over and 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 it just seems like it it's hard to get ahead yeah i agree i mean like the browns are the best example ever but i really think that when in doubt don't make a coaching change you know don't make the big change unless you're sure that the guy you hired was a mistake which really reflects on you You, you're the one that hired him yeah, and I think, you know, in the case of the Giants, they know that they've gotten this that they've gotten this wrong, you know, the the last two times that they've done it. You know, whether that was because of the people that they hired or because of the support system they put around them, mm-hmm. you know, I'm I'm not sure, but they've but they've gotten this wrong twice in a row and they're at that sort of situation where if they don't get it right this time, 
it's already been a long period of of bad football for the Giants. If if they don't get it right this time, it it could be a really 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 long period of bad football. No, you're right. I mean, you don't want to go down that road that the Browns keep going down, where we finally found our guy, but then they don't stick with him, or he wasn't the right guy. And I do think the Giants are teetering on that. We'll see. I mean, I think that a coaching change needed to happen. I just hope that they stick by their guns, made the right choice, and give him time to put his stamp on things, change the culture, get his type of players in here, and then truly evaluate them. And there are pieces in place with the roster, and they obviously have a lot of draft capital and wouldn't shock me at all if somebody's trying to move up there to get ahead of the Dolphins for Tua, and they can maybe turn that into a couple starters instead of one. And they don't have a ton of UFAs of note that are you know game changers in terms of half the sign. I'd like to see them keep Leonard Williams, of course. And they've got a lot of cap space. So if this is the right group, I would hope this offseason – with a presumed quarterback already in place, would really show us that, okay, we have. I, I think we'll know sooner than later is where I'm going with this. Let me ask you, since you mentioned him, let me ask you about Leonard Williams. What do you see when you watch Leonard Williams? I mean, this is a guy, the report came out the other day that, that he might be asking for $15 million a year, which puts him in the top six or eight defensive tackles in terms of average annual salary I can't see him making that kind of money but when you watch Leonard Williams what kind of player do you see and and just you know putting your GM hat on for a second what kind of value you know might you think is fair for a guy like that Yeah, I'm not ignoring your question at all. I just think it's a tough time to put money value on players because the CBA is about to dry up and we don't know what the new one looks like. So this is going to be a strange free agency period no matter what. But in terms of what others have made of late, I like Leonard Williams a lot. And hey, I want 15 million too. I mean, to say you want 15 million, there's no harm in that. You might as well start high. But he doesn't affect the passing game enough to make him one of the premier interior defensive linemen, in my opinion. I think he's a very good player. Uh, I think he's basically in his prime. I think he fits Gettleman to a T. You control the line of scrimmage. There's a lot of ability there. A lot of people thought he might have even been the best draft prospect in that class. But I don't think he's ever going to be an upper-tier pass rusher. And he'll be fine. He won't be great. And therefore, I can't make you a top 10 defensive tackle type. Yeah, but And that's where the Giants are in a little bit of a conundrum with him because mm-hmm. of the trade that they made. I could have they always, franchise him? They could. They could franchise yeah, at least him. buys you a year. Buy them a year. But, you know, you, you're you're in that situation where I think that that Williams has a little bit of leverage on the Giants because with the the in my view anyway the Giants look really bad if if he walks mm-hmm. on them and they lose both the player and the draft picks. Right, because I mean it's kind of like Jalen Ramsey with the Rams in that hey you just gave all this up for me why wouldn't you just give me a blank check? And what's different though and what makes the Giants look even worse in that situation was the Rams were much closer to the playoffs to being a contender. You know, they're just removed from the Super Bowl, where the Giants need every pick they can get, 
and sure he fits the system and didn't have to move his house. Not that that matters, but you'd love to keep him around, but you're right. Like, Hey, you just told me how much you love me. And now you're going to negotiate saying I'm not worth that. That doesn't add up. I'm going to go somewhere else. Let me ask you about uh, your thoughts quickly on, on the uh, Giants offseason plans, Matt. You know, I can see maybe going after Jack Conklin, you know, paying big money, you know, for the yep. right tackle. I can see maybe, you know, paying big money for for a pass rusher, especially I don't even want to try to pronounce it's Yannick Ngakwe, I believe. Pretty close, yeah. What's up, Ed? Uh, you know, I, I can see I can too. see going after those two guys. But other than that, I you know, I I don't see the Giants going out and trying to fix this via free agency. I mean, what what would you expect what would you expect from the Giants, you know, throughout this offseason? Yeah, that that's a very good question. I mean, I, I Maybe I'm optimistic about it, but just speaking offensively, I would love to see them add two starters on the offensive line, one via free agency, one in the first two days of the draft. Maybe a tackle and an interior guy, a center, presumably. Um, but Or a Conklin would just go a long way in, in itself. I also think a backup quarterback is probably needed, and not necessarily Mariota or Bridgewater, but... Somebody that's been around. I mean, and those guys cost more money than you want to spend at that position. And then on defense, I kind of think they need a little everything. Like if you could add Simmons, I know they don't use first round picks on linebackers, but maybe they do. Somebody that's a real speedster, difference maker, athlete in the middle of that defense, I think would have a real ripple effect. And they would protect him pretty well with the big people they already have. You certainly mentioned edge rusher. Sure. I mean, I think that's absolutely required, but I don't know that they have a million needs. Like I look at the Jets at the same stadium and say, man, there's they need 10 starters where the Giants, I think they need five starters. You uh, last question for you, Matt, as we talk about the as we talk about the defense, you like the hire of Patrick Graham to to run that defense. I kind of need to know more. Uh, again, these these are a little bit tough to comment on. <sighs> Preliminarily, I mean, I don't know if that's a word, but yes, I mean, it seems like a good fit. We'll see, though. I, again, I, I have a I have a hard time commenting on assistant coach hires that don't have much track record, and I'm not avoiding your question. It's just that's a tough one. No, I get it. I I think yeah. that what what I tell people, I mean, I have my questions about that one as well because he's only got the one year of play calling experience. But mm -hmm. I, I tell people, look, don't look at Miami. Don't look at the stats oh, from no, Miami. Absolutely you not. know, just they didn't have any players. They didn't have any, you know, I, I look at, look at the snap counts, two guys who couldn't make the giants roster on a bad giants defense played a heck of a lot of snaps for, for Miami last year. Mm -hmm. I'm talking about John Jenkins, defensive tackle, and Avery Moss, you know, at, at linebacker. And those guys couldn't make a bad Giants team. Yeah, that's a good point. And I don't know if it's more reflective on the defense coordinator, the head coach, or both, but the Dolphins sure did not give up. They had very, very, very little talent. I honestly thought they might win zero games after about four games or so of watching them, how awful they were. But there's something going good in that coaching staff. And again, it's more Patriot roots. 
I, I absolutely like that aspect of it. So, but one thing we did mention earlier, it's not exactly McVeigh and Phillips. It's not a super experienced guy that has handled a defense or an entire team. You kind of wish he was a little bit more, you know, established, but he can't have everything. No, you can't. Hey, Matt, listen, I really appreciate your spending some time with me. Uh, yeah, before fun. I let you go, why don't you tell folks uh, a little bit about where they can hear you, where they can uh, where they can find your work on Twitter and, and, and all that good stuff. Yeah, I'm at Williamson NFL. Uh, give me a follow there. I post all my stuff. Um, I host a daily podcast, Locked On NFL, which is the flagship for the whole Locked On network. I actually do a lot of Steeler stuff specifically here, you know, locally and I'm on, you know, for Steeler Nation Radio and I'll live up at Steeler Camp and go into the combine with the Steelers here in the in the in the coming weeks. So, and I write all over the all over the net. So, uh, I very much appreciate. It. This was a blast. Hey, always like having you. Hey, and uh, you're going to be up at the uh, going to be in Indy for the combine, so uh, maybe yeah. we'll uh, we'll have to get together and uh, and have a meal or uh, or a couple, of, yeah. uh, a couple of a couple of late evening uh, late evening beverages one of these nights you know I like it I like it <laughs> all right Matt thank you very much for coming on and we'll uh, we'll talk to you soon absolutely take care of yourself all right Giants fans that's our show for today as always we thank you for listening we remind you to please subscribe to Big Blue View Radio on all of your favorite podcast applications check out our work at BigBlueView.com on Instagram at big underscore blue underscore view on Facebook. Make sure you follow me on Twitter at big blue view. So thank you as always for listening and we'll talk to you soon. Bye-bye.